This podcast includes information provided by the issuer and does not express the views of the interviewer. This podcast may also include forward-looking statements by the issuer that involve certain risks and uncertainties to its business. Because forward-looking statements are subject to risks and uncertainties, the issuer's actual results could differ from those indicated in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. You can follow Planet Microcap on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T, and you are listening to episode 52. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to tweet at me or shoot me an email at rkraft at snnwire.com. And when you do get a chance, if you like what you hear, please rate and review Planet Microcap on iTunes. It really helps provide feedback for me and spread the microcap message. For this episode of the Planet Microcap podcast, I spoke with Michael Liu. He is a private investor who has the distinct honor of being the youngest member of the Microcap Club. I met Michael at last year's Microcap Leadership Summit and thought it was really cool that not only was he 16 years old, already investing in Microcap stocks, but he was also doing this type of due diligence. This podcast is all about educating the next generation of investors how to invest in microcap stocks. Michael is part of that next generation of investors. In this interview, he'll outline how he got started investing in microcaps, his investing strategy, and how he balanced that with his other obligations. Thank you again for tuning into episode 52 of the Planet Microcap podcast. Please enjoy my interview with Michael Liu. But first, a word from our sponsor. A comprehensive streaming of market data, research, and portfolio management application for you. QuoteStream is a real-time streaming quotes and research system designed for the day trader, retail investor, institutional investor, both new and old. QuoteStream offers low latency, tick-by-tick data, advanced charting, comprehensive technical analysis, news, and research. With no software to install and no servers to maintain, QuoteStream is the ideal solution for you. Go to stocknewsnow.com and start your free seven-day trial. Click the quote stream banner in the header or real-time quotes in the nav bar to get started building and managing your investments. For this episode of the Planet Microcap podcast, I have Michael Liu on the program. He is a private investor and the youngest member of the Microcap Club. Michael, welcome to the Planet Microcap podcast. Uh, hi, Bobby. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on and, uh, and really thank you for joining me. I know... Uh, been a busy schedule for you uh, at, at the beginning of uh, your first year of college, so uh, I'm, I'm excited to have you on. Right, definitely excited to be here. Yes, so as we do with every uh, interview that we have on the podcast, let's start with your background. Uh, you know, tell me a little bit about yourself. You know, the floor is yours. Uh, yeah, so like you said, I'm a Microcap Club member. I contribute to Seeking Alpha. Um, it's probably most interesting is I'm actually 17. And I just uh, moved into college. I'm starting uh, college as a freshman this year. I actually just moved in today, uh, attending Rutgers University. So I'm excited about that. Um, I've been investing for about five years now, uh, spending like the last three in microcaps. I guess you could say I'm a full-time microcap investor, but I don't think that actually counts as <laughs> what, uh, what the other people on your podcast actually do. <laughs> I'm going to have to go to Ian and Mike for a judge's ruling on that. 
So, Michael, as you said, you've been investing for about five years now. You know, have, I mean, have your investments helped pay for college? I mean, what, what are we talking about here? Yeah, um, I mean, I've really only been investing like real money, I guess, for I think around three years now. And uh, honestly, like my my view has never been that like I'm trying to like you know build wealth in order to pay for college. College is obviously a looming expense for me, as it is for like a lot of other a lot of other kids around the world. I'd imagine, especially everybody, or like definitely people interested in investing. But um, in my opinion, I mean, like I'm, I've grown my money a little bit, and it's definitely helped to to pay for college. Except I think uh, in the long term, um, I guess I have a really I have a really like big passion for investing right and my focus has always been on like you know building building knowledge for for the rest of my life like you know the my investing career isn't at least I hope it isn't uh, concentrated only in the last three years of my high school but um so yeah I mean like having that knowledge for the rest of my life and like possibly building a career off of this I think is a lot more valuable and especially like compounding wealth for the next like 50 years uh, instead of like the past five years, I think is going to be a lot, lot more valuable. Um, so I think even though like college, college is one expense for, for a lot of kids out there, uh, you know, I, I'm still, I'm still investing my money right now. It's actually in an IRA, so it's, it's protected, but, um, you know, it's, it, the, not my, like my passion for investing, it, it goes like, it's going to go for the rest of my life. So it's not just, to pay for college, even though you know investing has helped a little bit with that. How and why did you start investing in general, and then the move to microcaps? Uh, right. So I pretty much got started uh, when I was in eighth grade. We actually had a school-wide stock market game, and at that point, um, I didn't really know what stocks were. I, I thought they were kind of lines on a graph that you had to predict or something like that which I guess is true in the general sense. But uh, so I got really into the game, but everybody in the school was really into it. I actually wound up uh, in, I think, third place. I was investing in like Netflix and I don't even know, Apple back then. I really should have just kept those because like everything else I did after that didn't, wasn't really that good. But <laughs> I got really, really into it. And then um, I kind of stuck at it after eighth grade. All my friends kind of like, you know, kids lose interest fast, but for some reason, I, I don't really know why, I, I kept being interested in it, and I kind of developed it through high school, and especially uh, up until um, so my sophomore year, so when I was um, 14 or 15, uh, I, w I had just been trading on um, the, the website that we were using for the game in eighth grade, it was Investopedia, just paper trading kind of for fun. Uh, but sophomore year is when I really started doing some like real company due diligence, looking into like financials, valuation, things like that. Um, I listened to a lot of interviews from Warren Buffett at that point. I think he along like he shaped a lot of my ideas, and I think that goes for a lot of people that that are getting started. And um, I opened an account later that year, and then um, that's when I really started getting into microcap stocks because. Uh, I think the initial um, transition I made was realizing like the kinds of returns you could get in microcaps, and that was what really drew me to the space. I had uh, I had read a lot of like articles online by you know various microcap investors, like big microcap investors nowadays. That um, and then I looked at some of their track records, and like they were just absolutely amazing returns I've never gotten in large cap space. But uh, 
you know, that kind of attracted me to this space. But as I kept looking in, you know, I found all these other things that I think every microcap investor would now say is really the reason that they keep, they keep at it. It's like, you know, the, first of all, like how small the company is, the, there's less variables for you to analyze. Um, and you know, the bet becomes a lot more streamlined on one, one like niche development. Like for example, like a lot of my cap companies, like a $10 million company, it's, it's one industry, one management team, one really streamlined investment thesis. Whereas big companies like, I don't know, like G, you know, it's a conglomerate. They have like billions of business units and, you know, to value every single one, to look at that, it's impossible. So when you're investing in stuff like that, like I didn't even know to begin with how to analyze GE, but with a microcap company, like a really small niche industry, it's uh, it's easier to craft a thesis. Mm. And at the same time, like, you know, there's so many more opportunities. Like I really wanted to get into investing, but you know, in large caps, you can't, you can't call like Tim Cook and say, Hey Tim, I got a few questions about Apple's uh, next uh, growth strategy, you know, could I could I talk to you for five minutes? Doesn't really work like that. But with microcaps, that's literally how it works. And I was amazed when I found that out. And when I started like going to conferences and these things, I was amazed at the opportunities that were out there, even for like a high schooler that I was that that was just starting out and knew nothing. I just got to know. I mean, you know, you're, you're pretty young. I guess if it was the last three years with real money, so you're about fourteen. I mean, <laughs> did your parents help you open your first account, or did you do it all on your own? You know, how did that work? Um, yeah, so um, I actually had had gotten a job, and then um, I realized that there were. Uh, so, so uh, before I say that, uh, you you can't open a regular brokerage account if you're not 18 by yourself. Mm-hmm. So uh, my parents had to help me uh, open an account. What I have right now is a uh, a Roth IRA for minors uh, through Fidelity. So that was just the platform that my parents had used uh, were using a few years ago. So. It was easy to to transition and make a custodial account for me, and um, that's that's one of the ways that uh, you can you can still invest your own money even if you're not 18 yet. And um, I mean, there's a lot of other like the methods to do this. I think there's um, uh, UGMA and UTMA, which are kind of like uh, again like custodial accounts, but it's not it's not an IRA, so you don't have to put money that you earned into it. There's like trusts. I think uh, one of my good friends has like this trust that his grandparents left him or something that he invests. So there's a bunch of different ways to do this. And like, honestly, like even though um, the most straightforward way opening up an individual brokerage account, uh, you need to be 18. You know, there's a lot of ways around that. And uh, they try to make it so that, so like there's definitely an opportunity if you just search around a little bit, even if you're pretty young to open up a real account with, uh, with trading real money. Mm. And, um, I mean, later on, like, I hoped, obviously, open my own account. I think uh, Fidelity is great, but um, to do some, like, some of those uh, more complex trades, like, not just straight equity and things like that, I think Interactive Brokers is definitely one of the best platforms out there. I mean, I haven't done, like, deep due diligence, but it carries a really good reputation, so... Mm -hmm. I mean, did your friends know? I mean, or were you kind of like, this was, like, your secret hobby that, like, you know... I don't know. Like, how, how was it for you? I mean, did did you bring your friends into the mix a, a little bit, or were you kind of just like doing your own thing? Um, I, you know, I actually always wanted like some of my friends to do it. Like, I would tell them like, "Hey, you should check out investing. This is pretty cool." And they'd go like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember in eighth grade when we had that game? You know, I actually wound up in tenth place." And I was like, "Well, you know, but you should actually like look into the actual financials and stuff like that." And they're like, 
their eyes just kind of glazed over at that point. So, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I'm always like looking for other young, young people to, you know, talk to, I mean, any investor to like talk to about investing, I kind of like it, but you know, my friends weren't, weren't too interested, right. <laughs> unfortunately. Well, well, you know what? Now that you're in college, I'm sure there will be a couple of business clubs that you'll definitely find a few uh, like-minded individuals like yourself. Um, it's it's funny that you came about into investing or really doing your deeper due diligence by looking at a microcap stock. But it's interesting that you took the next step to say, well, you know, I, large caps. I don't really learn as much as I could learn than when I looked at a microcap stock. Right? I mean. Right. Yeah, I mean, of course, like, I had honestly no idea what I was doing when I was looking at large caps. You know, like, basically, like, the investment thesis for large cap is predicated on all these, like, macro developments and things like that, and, like, everything's almost completely efficient. It's really hard to find inefficiency. I mean, harder, in my opinion, to find inefficiencies in the large cap space. So, like, you know, you find something trading at a low P-E ratio that... Like a P, if something's trading at like a P of five, that pretty much means it's about to like plummet, because nothing is nothing is that cheap sustainably in the large cap space, you know. But in the small cap, or in like the micro cap markets and things like that, you can tr find things trading at like you know five times earnings that are sustainable businesses that can that can grow for a long time. And it's, I think it's um that uh, the opportunity to find things like that really attracted me. So you you touched on this a little bit already, you know, when you said that you you started watching a couple uh, Warren Buffett interviews, you know. But what what were some of the other things that you used to learn about microcap investing as a high school student? Uh, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, my high school specifically. I don't know if this pertains to other high schools, but my high school uh, didn't really have anything for for like any sort of investment related curriculum you know the most was there was an accounting class but it wasn't really it wasn't even really in depth or anything like that so uh what i did really and i guess this is kind of just how i did it i mean i'm other other people can do it like any other way but what i did was i i learned a lot of the stuff you know by myself and uh i i don't know i think most of the stuff i learned I think one of the biggest um, places I learned from was actually Seeking Alpha. Mm -hmm. I started writing there later, but uh, before I would just read all the articles, and um, it was really valuable seeing um, others, other people's due diligence, and at the same time being able to see like how it how it how it turned out later. Like you could see what a person said would happen, and then you know what happened, and then you could. It's a it's a it's a good way to get like a bunch of case studies going and seeing what works and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's also like you know as I as I got into microcaps, I figured out you know you could do all these things like I was saying like uh, interview management teams, go to conferences, things like that. And I found those like incredibly invaluable to 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 learning like how how the industry works, um, you know how other people do their due diligence just talking to other people like you know you never be afraid to just like you know start start a conversation with somebody that you admire and say hey uh, I really I really like your ideas and I really like this you know would you be willing to chat at some point and the worst thing that's going to happen is you know they're going to ignore you which a lot of people have done to me but 
you know, that doesn't, that shouldn't, that shouldn't phase you, I guess, because, you know, you're trying, if you're trying to grow, like, I'm really trying to grow in the industry, and, like, this is, I'm, for now, at least, I'm, I'm, I'm almost certain this is going to be the rest of my life, so. Right. So, yeah. so literally, you, on your own, knew that, like, okay, I'm looking at this microcap stock, it's kind of interesting, you know, I want to do some deeper due diligence, you know, I'm, I'm just going to get on the phone and call the, the CEO and see what, and, and ask him a few questions. You just, you just knew to do that on your own? Um, no, no, no. Okay, all right. I thought, I thought some weird, like, security FBI or whatever would come to my house if I did that. But uh, it was actually after, I, after um, I think this is the end of sophomore year, I, was, I went to my first conference, uh, it was Sedoti, and um, I saw you could just, like, randomly schedule meetings with management. I didn't really know what that meant exactly, so I just scheduled one with this random company. And then, you know... As soon as I went there, I was sitting face to face with the CEO of this company, and I was like, "Wait, I didn't realize I could actually do this." And then, like, I started reading these articles about, like, you know, oh, I just got off the phone, like, on Microcap Pub and things like that. People would say, like, "Oh, I just got off the phone with the CEO," and like, you know, we these are my notes from the conversation. And I was like, "Wait, I can do that." So then, like, all these things started hitting me that, like, this is an industry where anybody can play, you know, a high school student, a hundred million dollar fund manager, they're on an equal equal playing field and all of all the CEOs and like all the management teams that I've interviewed none of them care really that that you know I'm I'm a young kid that like you know it doesn't it doesn't even seem to affect uh, my credibility which is really useful because like then you can like have these uh, like legitimate conversations and like do your own due diligence and like you are, have access essentially to the same um, research materials as as anybody else in the industry. Right. I was just going to ask, you know, what was that first uh, meeting like? <laughs> um, I sat down and then the, uh, the, the, the company w uh, was uh, a uh, payment processing company. And um, I, I had prepared a few questions, so I wasn't there like completely empty handed. But uh, they, they actually got very, very excited. Um, he said, uh, this is probably going to this is probably going to be his most interesting meeting of the day. I think they were really bored at that point because they had talked to so many other investors. Like I sat down and they were like, "You look young. Are you a business student or something like that?" And I said, um, no, I'm actually in high school." And then they really brightened up and they thought, uh, they thought it was really funny, but uh yeah, that was pretty cool. Oh, that's so cool. I love that. I mean, um but it seems like you you hit on something that like a lot of people are, are afraid of it first, you know, when it comes to talking with management, like you knew to be prepared, you knew to have some questions. I mean, I've asked, I've asked that time and time again on the podcast, you know, like, how do you approach talking with management? And it seemed like you also knew like, okay, I know that I have to establish some credibility and, you know, they're not just going to answer my question. You know, they're not just going to have a conversation with me. I got to go in prepared, know a little bit about the company, you know, and, and really bring some substance to this. Right. Yeah. I mean, at that point, I was really conscious that I didn't want to be wasting their time. So, you know, I, I had prepared a lot and like I'd researched the company a lot. And I think I mean, that's important when you're talking to any management team is to have research done beforehand. Otherwise, you know, they're just going to, you know, spew whatever they spew. And every management team can make their, their company sound good mm -hmm. because, you know, anyone can do that. What, what is your invest, investing strategy? You know, how, how do you approach investing in microcap companies? Uh, yeah, I think um, the way I do it, I guess a little bit differently than everybody else, is I put a very heavy emphasis 
on uh, like insider the insider dynamics of a company. Hmm. So you know that's like uh, management ownership, um, insider buying, uh, compensation, everything like that. You know, because I think I, a lot of people say a lot that like you know microcap companies. Uh, another thing that makes them special is that their management teams drive a lot more of the investment thesis than with like big cap companies. Because like, you know, Warren Buffett has said, um, I think it's like, I want a company that even a monkey can manage. But that, that that's pertinent to large cap stocks, but I don't think it's as applicable to micro caps because, um, you know, the CEO, you know, they, they wear a lot of hats. They do a lot of stuff. They're a very, very big portion of the company. Whereas in a big, big cap company there's so so much bureaucracy that their the value of their job kind of dwindles but um so i i pay a lot of attention to like the insider dynamics that's like kind of the incentives driving management to to do well and i really like um this idea that you know you want a management team that's uh paid a little bit and owns a lot and is still buying so essentially, like their wealth from the company is gonna, and this uh, this idea is, I think originally put out by uh, Peter Thiel in his book Zero to One. I'm not sure if that was the first instance, but that's where I heard of it. But um, the the idea there is that because they're paid a little and they own a lot of stock, the way they generate the, their wealth is by growing the company. Mm-hmm. And then like if they're if they're buying stock on the open market, that just means um, that in the in the immediate term at least. They see potential for growth because, you know, Peter Lynch also says, like, you know, insiders only buy for one reason. They think the stock's going to go up. Right. So that's that's really, like, the crux of my investment strategy. That's actually one of the most the main screens I use to find stocks. And um, I found it successful, I guess. In my very brief time investing, I found <laughs> it successful. But, I mean, in my opinion, like, I would never be comfortable owning a stock that management doesn't own and buying while management isn't buying because I mean obviously I'm missing a lot of opportunities like where the business is good but maybe management capital is constrained or something like that but in my opinion operating only within these companies buying when management is buying and owning when management owns a lot is is valuable because I mean they have so much more insight than you and and mm-hmm. I, I would just never, I guess, sleep well if I'm, if I'm doing something because I would just constantly be thinking like, what am I missing? Why isn't this management team that, you know, has money? Why are, why are they not buying their own stock? If I think it's so undervalued and the growth potential is so high, right? But they don't. So, so it sounds like a crucial part of your due diligence process is, you know, going out and speaking with management after you've they've you've screened them out. Um, am I right? Or yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, yeah. Also, like interviewing management allows you to see um, some of the more like qualitative traits that you look for in a management team, like like you know Warren Buffett talks about inte- integrity, intelligence, things like that. And um, I don't, I don't think I've like perfected that that t- that skill yet, but um, it's definitely very valuable to analyze how how a management team goes goes about it. So from so then from your experience, you know, from what from what you've seen, or maybe f- from some of the companies that you have uh, that have been you know winners, um, you know, what what are some of the, like the the percentage of ownership uh, that you've seen as the the like the the sweet spot, so to speak, you know, and some of the different in- 
incentive um, uh, packages that you've that you've seen and been like, oh, this is this has resulted in you know a company going up and doing well. Yeah, I think one of the biggest tells is um, uh, management or even an outside figure uh, buying the stock at a premium to existing prices because that really implies you know some sort of external valuation analysis something like that and uh, if they're willing to buy at a premium that means they actually think the value of the company is higher uh, than the than the amount they're buying it and I think that's been probably the best predictor of uh, of of an uh, like you know near term price appreciation, but of course like you know that doesn't happen very often at all because who would who would buy at a premium when you can buy at the open market? Sure. But um, <laughs> you know, and another thing like the ownership percentages you're talking about, I don't think I guess there's a sweet spot. Some people like to look at like ownership uh, relative to salary, uh, like you know, a CEO owns five times his current salary in in shares. But, um, you know, you also have to, like, factor in stuff like how much was he or she paid at previous jobs, you know, approximately what's their net worth right now. Uh, ownership relative to net worth, I think, is a lot more valuable, but probably shouldn't go running around asking all your CEOs, like, how, how much your net worth is. But, um, yeah, I think a lot of people are also wary of companies, like, in control where the management team or one person, even worse, one person owns uh, the majority of the shares outstanding. And um, I think people try to avoid those situations. But uh, in my opinion, if, if you can get a manager with integrity, it doesn't, really, it doesn't really matter too much how many shares they own as long as they have and you think will continue to act with integrity. And people avoiding those kind of companies actually drives a sort of inefficiency. What, what what are I mean you probably hit on this already in, in when you were talking about your investing strategy but you know what were some of the key things that you'd like to highlight in your articles and, and your posts? Uh, yeah, I mean I think it varies a lot. Um, like I said, the only thing that really ties all my ideas together is is this idea of uh, aligned management incentives and like insider dynamics that I think really fit um, fit what makes what makes me comfortable with my holdings. Mm -hmm. uh, but, I mean, yeah, everything varies. I think the key is a lot of people, like I read a lot of pitches and like some like additional analysis and stuff like that. And this is just my opinion, but um, a lot of the times people seem to overanalyze a lot of uh, small things uh, having to do with a company. And then, you know, they'll like extrapolate really small variables and statistics and things like that. And, I mean, in my in my opinion, this is just my investment style. But I think uh, I like all my pitches to be to be simple, like something that you can say in like one sentence or two. And I mean, the I, I mean, basically all of my all of the ideas that I like right now can be summed up as you know, management teams owns a lot, they're buying stock, they get paid a little. That's pretty much everything. <laughs> and like you know, the business typically checks out after that, which is which is always good. But like, you know, just like try to keep it simple, I think, especially on the long side when like, you know, there are there are so many unknowns. So you shouldn't be trying to predict every variable. You should just make make sure that like everything aligns so that um, every all the incentives align and everything like that for you to make money in the future.
Michael, I wanted to like also get a little bit more clarification, you know, when you were, you're coming up and you're getting your start, you know, what were some, how'd you learn about like a stock screener? You know, how did you, you know, what, what were the, the various paths that you, that you went down that, um, helped you along your way? You know, I mean, how did you even find Seeking Alpha, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, I think at that point, well, when I was in eighth grade, like, you know, Yahoo Finance is the go-to, like, right. that's where you look at your stocks. And um, I think back then, Seeking Alpha was still partnered with Yahoo Finance, so all the Seeking Alpha posts would just show up as headlines under under the Yahoo Finance stocks. So that, that I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't that hard to find Seeking Alpha, I guess, but learning about, like, screeners and all these other things, I, it kind of involved just, I guess, digging down a bunch of rabbit holes and whenever I saw, like, and whenever I came across, like, a term that I didn't understand or, like, a methodology that I wasn't familiar with, I just kind of Google it and, like, you know, Investopedia is really helpful because they, they define, like, every single stock term and things like that in, like, kind of general detail, but it's, it's always useful for the, for the beginner. And, like, you know, whenever I didn't know anything, I just looked it up and I tried to understand it better because, I mean, like I said, I was really, really passionate about investing, so you know, I'd be willing to take the time to research all this stuff, even while, like, my friends were only considered with, or, or, like, a lot of people were only concerned with, like, you know, stock goes up or down. Right. So you touched on this also as well, you know, when it comes to uh, reading uh, Zero to One by Peter Lin- by Peter Thiel and, and Peter Lynch, or and also Peter Lynch. Um, so who, who would you say you model your investing strategy after? both um, from like your learned side and then also maybe just in, you know, whoever you've come into contact with since you've, you know, uh, gone down this, this path. Yeah. Um, I think right now, at least uh, I, I mean, I, I derive like, like I said, all of the insider ideas um, more or less from Peter Thiel's book, zero to one, which is like a really, really good book. Honestly, one of my favorites and, like, that book also talks about, like, um, things that, like, a lot of microcap investors talk about, like, you know, being a leader in a niche market, like, doing doing new things to create industries, like, you know, building an industry up zero to one. So that that's the idea of the book. And, um, you know, competition sales, it talks about everything. And, like, the book is supposed to talk about startups because Peter Thiel is a VC, but, um, or well, a VC and, like, a founder and things like that, startup founder, but... Um, you know, the book talk. It, a lot of the stuff uh, pertains to microcap investing because uh, a lot of the times microcaps are the same thing. But like, I mean, there's so many uh, like really talented and like really helpful people um, just in the microcap world that um, that I've learned a lot from too. And I think uh, that's another good thing about like microcaps is like, you know, anybody can can go in and there's all these people that are just you know, willing to chat with you and things like that because, you know, they're full-time microcap investors. This is this is what they do. And, like, nothing's, uh, you know, a lot of people have been really willing to help me on my uh, investing journey. And I think that's been, like, incredibly beneficial to uh, to my learning experience. Like, you know, you were talking, like, the people on microcapclub.com and things like that. I mean, it's just a great community. And, like, uh, in my opinion, like, the whole microcap universe is kind of, like, more or less like everybody knows about each other and then it's a really really great community and like it's mutually beneficial and it's it's really great and yeah i mean i've learned 
so many things from so many people, like it's impossible to even name everybody. <laughs> For sure. I, I think I can say yeah. the same exact thing. There's just so many people. You know, so, so Michael, what investing experience do you look back on as key to your learning process thus far? Um, I think the biggest one was actually my first microcap investment. I got a little, uh, I don't know what to say, how to say it, like arrogant or hot-headed, I guess, impulsive, I don't know, but I had invested a large portion of my money, much larger than I should have and much larger than I'd ever put in before. And this was when I was investing real money, not paper trading. Uh, my first microcap investment, I was really confident it would go up like 10 times in two years and there was like no downside and naturally in a year it wound up being down 60% and I lost a very, very large amount of money. So that really, um, I think that first lesson really actually hit home a lot of uh, a lot of ideas that, you know, every seasoned and microcap investor already knows for fact, you know. Uh, th this company was a... Uh, um, a consumer goods company and uh, what they had done is they had acquired like kind of a fast-growing startup that was losing a lot of money and like they were, they thought you know they could turn it around really easily but what in fact happened was they couldn't turn around they lost a ton of money and then they resold the startup for about for I think it was like $14 or something like that back to the founders and they wound up losing um, about 50% of their market cap uh, in, in value from that transaction. So that really like hit home a lot of ideas for me. Like, you know, um, like part the, the big investment thesis with that company was that if you summed up the value of the, the base business that they had and the new startup that they bought, um, it would suddenly like equal astronomical figures. But uh, what that analysis kind of ignored was the fact that the startup when paired the startup's losses when paired with the base business actually caused the whole company to be worth a lot less and uh you know like it made me realize like kind of the, the biggest fallacy of some of the parts theses and then um at the same time like trust in management like right now the company trades at a very low valuation and i think part of the reason for that is that nobody really trusts this management anymore to make good capital allocation decisions because they they botched that acquisition up so much, and of course, like you know, it taught me the value of profit, profit to a business too, and how an unprofitable business can go from you know a huge huge market potential, like lots of upside, you know, all this operating leverage you could talk about, but uh, in the immediate term, if they're losing a ton of their market cap in cash, they're going to have to raise money or they're going to have to take some drastic action, and uh, you know that's a really tough bet to make on an unprofitable company with, with, you know, however much potential you think it has. Right. So what are some of the things that you're hoping to learn more about to further you along in your investing, in your investing career? Um, I think, I, I think I mentioned this before, but one of the biggest things I think I haven't perfected and I guess it's not possible to perfect it, but I would like to get better is like, uh, interviewing management, like, kind of skills, um, being able to kind of gauge, uh, like, you know, intelligence and integrity, things like that in a management team from meeting them. Because I mean, for now, I think, I think the biggest thing I notice when I'm talking to management isn't like, Oh, these guys seem very intelligent, good operators. It's more like, Oh, these guys seem nice. I should buy their stock or they seem mean. Yeah. I'm probably going to sell the stock. I mean, it's not like, um, I, I like, I, I just want to be able to kind of, 
get better at that skill, get better at analyzing the factors that matter and uh, identifying, you know, a good management team from, from bad just by talking to them, which like, and like, you know, other, other people a lot talk about like, you know, these kind of tells that you get when you're talking to them, like subtle tells and things like that, that gives you hints at like, you know, things that they aren't exactly saying, but they're kind of implying with body language and just stuff like that. I mean, I, I think, uh, I think it's very valuable and I definitely don't think that I've mastered it yet. Mm. I mean, what have some of your mentors been uh, saying in, in that regard? I'm sure they're saying it's mostly, you just got to keep interviewing them as much as possible, right? I mean, it's, it's really experience. Yeah, I think, I think that's the biggest thing is, yeah, is like experience. Uh, it teaches you like, you know, and it gives you a bunch of like case studies in your head too. Like, this is how the meeting went. This is how the stock did. Uh, this is how management acted when whatever happened and things like that. So. I think uh, the more you, the more you just note and keep track of, the more you'll be able to see uh, in the future similar events. You know, so for 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 where you're at, you know, in in your experience in your career, you know, what what are some of the things then you you look for when you are asking management some questions? What type of questions do you ask them? Um, for the most part, they're. And this is probably not the right way to go about it, but I ask like very specific questions when I interview management. Like, like I said, like I'm really conscious of if I'm wasting a management team's time or not, and if they think that. So, like, I'll do a lot of research beforehand, and then I'll just have like some very specific questions about the business and the growth strategy going forward and things like that. And like, I think a lot of people like um, like asking general questions, like, what do you see as your biggest uh, tailwind uh, for the next five years or something like that. But I mean, I think um, a lot of the times if you just do some, if you do like some in-depth research on the company beforehand, you can predict some management's answers or questions. But uh, yeah, for the most part, I mean, when I'm interviewing management, it's very, very directed specific questions. Right. And you more or less want to ask, you like, uh, you more or less want to ask questions that are, you kind of know the answers and you want to just make sure that it's, that you know, when you ask it, their answer is in line with what um, you know what they've said publicly, right? Right. Yeah. Of course. Like I think it's uh, Mark Twain said, like you know, it's not what you don't know; it's it's what you know that's not true. So <laughs> that that that's what gets you in trouble. So I think that's good. So so Michael, you know what what are what is your advice then for new microcap investors uh, that are interested in this space specifically? those in high school or college? Um, honestly, I think it's, if you're, if you're really passionate about it and, and kind of want to go into this in the future, um, I mean, I'm definitely like not an authority. I'm just very young. So like I've done the same stuff, I'm guessing, but like, you know, really, I guess like push boundaries and like kind of do, do like everything you can get, all the opportunities you can, like, you know, before I was like, and I still am like kind of introverted and, and shy. So like going to conferences and interviewing management teams and things like that, it wasn't something that came naturally to me, but like really pushing yourself and getting yourself out there is, is very valuable. And especially like getting your ideas out there, like, um, uh, writing stuff like on seeking off and things like that is, I found is very valuable because like, uh, some of the biggest opportunities I found is like people people read your ideas and they say, "Oh, this is good. You want it? Would you be willing to like chat about this?" And then like, you know, everything kind of like snowballs after that. And 
it's it's uh, really good to to get your ideas out because um, a lot of people like really admire, especially young young people with good ideas and like good analysis and stuff like that. And at the same time, like you know, like I said before, like don't be afraid to just like if you admire an investor or something like that, just like shoot them an email or contact them somehow and say, hey, would you be willing to chat with me? Like you know, I'm just really interested and I'd like to get your some of your ideas on 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 microcap investing. And um, yeah, I mean, honestly, if you're if you're really passionate about about microcap investing, there's so many opportunities in the field. And uh, if you're really passionate about it, you know, you're you're willing to take all those opportunities, despite you know how uncomfortable sometimes it it how like uncomfortable of a situation sometimes it might put you into. But yeah, I mean, it's really valuable. And of course, uh, if you're in high school or college and interested in investing. Give me a call, or uh, <laughs> you know, send me a message on Twitter, seeking offer or something, because I'm always, always uh, willing to talk to you know young investors. It's really cool when I meet another investor, especially a microcap investor. That's you know. Where can my audience go and find more information about you and uh, some of your writings? Uh, yeah, so like you said, I'm on Microcap Club. My uh, my pen name there is uh, um, MKKLE. I don't really know how to pronounce it, so. Uh, and then I'm also on Twitter, uh, Michael2017L is my handle, and um, also on Seeking Alpha, like you said, uh, and Mike Redding is Michael Liu. So, yeah, I mean, I'm always open to talking about investing and things like that, so if you're interested, I'd, I'd love to chat. Cool, man. Well, hey, listen, Michael, thank you again for joining me on the Planet Microcap podcast, and uh, you have a great rest of your day, and uh, good luck in your first year of college. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me, Bobby. You too. Of course. I'll see you at a conference soon, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. All right. See ya. Yep, bye. Thank you all for tuning in to the Planet Microcap podcast, and thank you, Michael, again for coming on to the program. You can access the podcast by going on to stocknewsnow.com under podcast. Go to podbean.com and search Planet Microcap podcast, or on iTunes and search Planet Microcap podcast. Stay tuned for the next Planet Microcap podcast, where we'll have our next guest to discuss all things microcap. If you have any questions or comments about the podcast, please send an email to info at snnwire.com. I'd love to hear from all of you. This podcast has been brought to you by SNN Incorporated, publishers of stocknewsnow.com, the official microcap news source, and the microcap review magazine. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you again for joining me on the Planet Microcap Podcast. Have a great week.